0: Kia ora everyone, this is New Zealand Medical Students Association Focus Podcast. My name is Ben Hodson and I am a Dunedin Rep on NZMSA. June this year is our Gender and Medicine Focus Month as we take a look at gender discrimination and question the current cultural climate of medicine. In 2017, Alicia Bosson conducted a survey of Wellington medical students about their experiences in medicine. This survey highlighted that women and non-binary individuals were disproportionately affected and experienced gender inequity, sexist comments, behaviours and harassment. This survey has prompted NZMSA to run this focus month to bring awareness to this issue and help drive change. In this episode, we are delighted to welcome Dr Charlotte Chambers, a Principal Analyst for the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists, which is the professional association and union for senior doctors and dentists in New Zealand. Dr Chambers has a special interest in the rates of presenteeism burnout and bullying among senior doctors and she was responsible for the 2016 report on hospital specialist burnout. The report found 50% of its members had symptoms of burnout with women experiencing the highest levels of burnout overall. Dr. Chambers has a strong research interest in understanding why women who work in medicine are disproportionately affected by burnout and the role of gender more broadly in medical culture. The episode's interview was conducted by Michaela Mullen, a Wellington rep on NZMSA.
1: Kia ora and welcome to the New Zealand Medical Students Association's Gender and Medicine podcast series. We're delighted to welcome Dr Charlotte Chambers to join us here today to talk about her research and some of the experiences that she's had. I'd just like to start by inviting her to introduce herself and a bit about how she got here.
2: Sure, thank you very much Michaela and thanks to everyone involved with this for inviting me to participate. I think it's a great initiative. I think I should start by explaining that I'm not a medical doctor. I'm just an academic with a PhD and I actually don't have any formal training in health. Uh, I used to lecture in human geography at the University of Otago until I had my son Harry who's now eight years old and as is often the way the birth of Harry precipitated a fairly significant shift in my career and I became a stay-at-home mum for four years, which was probably the hardest job I've ever done, before returning to paid work uh, here at the Association of Salaried Medical Specialists in a new role undertaking their research. So I've been in this role now for four years, and I'm loving it. It's a fantastic opportunity and a real privilege to get to know so many fascinating and incredibly talented doctors around the country. Thank you for that.
1: Uh, I think we could just start by having a little bit of a background into the research that you've
2: done. Sure. Since I've been with the ASMS, much of the work that I've been involved with has been looking at the different dimensions of well-being amongst specialists in the New Zealand District Health Board workforce, by and large. We do represent people who work in general practices, but most of our members work in district health boards. So the research that I've been involved in has included issues such as presenteeism, or the rate at which doctors will continue to work through illness when they know that they're unwell enough to be in bed. I've looked at burnout rates, um, and I was involved with the first nationwide survey using the Copenhagen Burnout Inventory of Burnout Prevalence um, in New Zealand. And I've also done a survey on um, the rate of bullying amongst senior doctors, which was also groundbreaking research. There was not much known about senior doctors and dentists as victims of bullying until Mm. we did that piece of research. Now, the current project that I'm working on is an extension of the burnout research. Um, One of the most disturbing or distressing findings from the original study was the finding that 71% of women in their 30s were scoring as positive for burnout. And the trend for women across all age groups Uh, To have worse burnout scores than their male counterparts was another really concerning finding. And the question that we were constantly asked was why? Why is there such a discrepancy along gender lines? Uh, We've also found that women are disproportionately affected by presenteeism. So women are more likely to work through illness Mm -hmm. than their male counterparts. And we also found that women were more likely to self-report as being bullied than their male counterparts too. So combined, all these different pieces of research suggest that there are issues disproportionately affecting women in the senior medical workforce, and this piece of research really sought to understand why and what's going on.
1: So that was sort of the background reasons for why this led you down the big research that you've now completed. So knowing those rates and having that question of why Was that occurring? Where did you go to from there? Sure.
2: Well, my background is in qualitative research. I'm a human geographer. Um, So I was desperate to get out and actually talk to some doctors as to what was going on in their lives. Qualitative research was obviously the best technique to get that in-depth insight. There's only so much that quantitative surveys can tell you. And we had a few inklings as to what might be going on, but we really needed to go out and talk to doctors themselves. So I advertised for women who were willing to speak with me about their experiences in medicine on the newly formed Women in Medicine Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And we also put adverts out in our specialist magazine. And I had a number of women who were really keen to talk to me about their experiences, which was great. But for a variety of reasons, I managed to interview 14 women by the end of 2017. and seventeen, and. Uh, the women worked all around the country, they came from a range of different um, specialties. There were three women who came from surgical backgrounds and the interviews were incredibly long and intense, they were intense for me as well as yeah. the women. Um, I'm sure for some it was probably quite a nerve-wracking experience talking to me but some others I suspect it was probably quite cathartic too, a real opportunity to reflect and ponder some of the things that have happened to them and some of the reasons why. So I think in total I had over 26 hours of interview data, and I certainly felt that by the end of the interviews I was reaching that uh, idea of theoretical saturation point, which is when there's no kind of new ideas coming to the fore. So although I only spoke with 14 women, um, the depth of experience and the depth of the interviews I think really enabled me to cover some pretty significant ground.
1: And from those conversations that you had, what were some of the biggest ideas that came out of all that information.
2: I guess the key thing that I was looking for were commonalities of experience or, or common themes that cross-cut the different perspectives of these women. And I, I ended up distilling it down into three core themes. Um, one I started looking at how they narrated or described their efforts to attain work-life balance. Mm-hmm. and You know, we all strive for work-life balance in our professional lives. I'm sure you do as a student too. Um, But for these women, it was kind of presented as this holy grail that they were constantly striving to achieve. They used words to describe it like a real juggle, a house of cards, a constant struggle. And um, I was really interested as to how they kind of described the primacy of their medical work as something which was almost mutually exclusive to the rest of their lives. Um, A number of the women were parents, they had small children, and perhaps unsurprisingly for these women, the issues around juggling work and life were quite acute. Um, There was a sense that they, well they described themselves as feeling that they had this primary responsibility for their domestic sphere in ways that they didn't feel either their husbands shared it, um, even if they were medical or non-medical in a way that their male counterparts didn't seem to have to shoulder that burden either, and I was really interested in in that. And this kind of led to a a, a focus on gender schemas or gender bias throughout all of their narratives, which is another theme that I'll come to in a minute. Yeah. Um, so that so the work-life balance theme really enabled me to kind of prise apart some of the ideas around work and life and how the boundaries between the two were quite porous, So there was this expectation that in medicine that work was supposed to have primacy. It was okay for work to constantly bleed into your home life, your personal time, but by the same token, the boundaries weren't weren't, um, equal. So, for example, some of the women talked about how they felt they had to kind of hide their other lives when they were in their work settings for fear of being perceived as unprofessional. So they talked about not being very careful about not to speak about their children, even when they just returned from maternity leave, and kind of having to leave out all their other responsibilities when they walk through the door of work. Um, the other really interesting idea was how uh, medical work was entangled with these ideas that to prove your dedication or your commitment to your career as a doctor, you kind of have to do your time. And so I was really interested in the notion of medical time. Not only the time required to do the training and how gruelling that can be, and also how challenging it can be if you also want to have other things happen in your life, like if you want to settle down in a particular geographic area or if you want to have children or if you want to get married, how the kind of time demands on you throughout your training can be so challenging for that. But also I was fascinated with the way in which um, doing your time kind of like on a daily basis, so working late or always being available for work, the burden of call, the kind of temporal aspects of that, also made particularly challenging circumstances for these women. And one specific example of that were the women who had, for a variety of reasons, chosen to work less than full-time. So quite a lot... Quite a lot of the women were working less than one FTE for a variety of reasons, but it was more common for women who had children or significant domestic responsibilities to work less than full time. And we know that, on the whole, um, both internationally and in New Zealand, there are more women working less than full time hours than men. Um, and the reasons for this is often because. Uh, women are also kind of carrying the second shift as well. They go home and they have their domestic responsibilities to attend to. So um, it's a subtle thing, but on the one hand, I was interested as to how the women explained um, these entanglements of time, professionalism, competence and dedication, and also how they had kind of internalised some of these ideas that if they weren't working full-time, they were somehow slacking off or treating medicine like it was a hobby or not really showing that they were dedicated to their work. And that, in many ways, is perhaps the most concerning aspect of this. So women who do have other commitments may seek to work part-time in order to get that work-life balance. And yet, simultaneously, they feel that they're being treated as second-class citizens, I suppose, in their jobs because they're not there all the time. They're either treated as less than a um, proper colleague or, you know, there was quotes like, they think I'm doing medicine as a hobby. So I was really interested in that. And then the third idea, which again I've already referenced, was the significance of broader gender bias. And I'm not really going to be able to explain it in this podcast adequately, um, but there's been far more articulate um, researchers and scholars who have really sought to demonstrate how medicine itself is inherently gendered. And I think one of the easiest ways to think about that is when you think about the way in which the increasing number of women entering into medical training and coming out of medical school is being described as the feminization of medicine. Now, if the gender balance that's happening, that's how I choose to say it, it's Mm -hmm. it's called a balancing of the gendered makeup of the medical profession, is being described as a feminization, well, that discursive label automatically suggests that medicine wasn't neutral to begin with, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Uh, so it's quite problematic, I think. Um, simple terms like that reveal a whole host of other assumptions. Similarly, the pejorative term women doctors. It wasn't so long ago that um, women who chose to go into medicine were sort of patronised or paternalistically described as lady doctors. You still have some people talk <laughs> to mm. you as if you're a lady doctor, but again... It's so problematic, and, and attaching that kind of gender signifier to label doctor, again, to my mind, reveals how it's inherently gendered to begin with. You don't talk about male doctors, really, or um, the masculinisation of medicine, unless you're trying to prove a point. So a key part of my research was actually looking at how a lot of these things to do with time, to do with work-life balance, present as issues for the women because of the way in which they are gendered. So. We live in a society where we have gender schemas, they're inescapable. Um, we all operate with gender bias to some degree. And it's really important to recognise that because until we do, then women are going to be assumed that they their natural place is to look after the kids and stay at home. And so there's always going to be tensions. Now my point is not to suggest or reinforce that that's appropriate. It's more to to shine a light on it and to say, this exists, this is a problem, and this will inflict, in the context of this study at least, the well-being of women in medicine in very subtle yet significant ways. And the other focus on looking at gender bias was to examine how women described um, simple things like the fact that they were constantly being mistaken as nurses, or the way in which they felt they had to work harder to kind of assert themselves as the legitimate doctor when they, for example, walked into surgery or went to areas of the hospital where they weren't well known. Um, And they felt, there's this great quote from one of the women who I interviewed who described herself as having to make up for being female in her interactions. And so I kind of sought to look at these small acts as micro inequities. There's this great metaphor that A negative act um, or a negative interaction might only bear the weight of a single feather but cumulatively over time the weight of a single feather can grow to be a ton of feathers and carrying the weight of a ton of feathers around on your back is a really heavy burden to shoulder and some of you might be aware of the research of Hutchinson who's just been presenting at the RACS conference in Australia uh, in Bangkok and she's described Um, these things as micro inequities other work from i think it's janet liang has talked about them as being a a tower of blocks that women have which um, presents a fundamentally different or uneven playing field for women entering into medicine compared with their male counterparts they don't have to deal with the same um i guess labor in a way to push themselves out there as the legitimate medical professional
1: yeah it sounds like that work is quite laborious, mm. and it's uncovered a lot of, I guess, truths of what it's like in medicine for women in particular. Just wondering if there was anything in particular that you were surprised
2: by? or I guess I guess it's a caveat more than something that I was surprised by, but um, well, actually no, there was one thing that I was quite surprised by, although in retrospect it wasn't all that surprising. So a lot of the women talked about um how in medicine they felt that there was this culture of having to do do the hard hard yards, doing it hard, doing it tough, walking through the snow in your bare feet, I think mm. was how one of them described it. And as a consequence of that culture, some of them actually were able to articulate or really kind of grapple with this idea that they because they had to do it hard, they didn't feel that they could really extend a hand up to the next generation coming through because they felt in so doing it would kind of not put them at a disadvantage but there was a sense that it wouldn't be fair because they didn't have the same opportunities afforded them and for example as a very specific uh, topic that we talked about in the interviews was that of breastfeeding and one of the women who I was interviewing She was talking about how she felt quite conflicted dealing with requests from her registrars who wanted to take time out of their uh, working day in order to, as she put it, peel off and and breastfeed or pump off their breast milk for their babies. Mm -hmm. Because when she was coming through, there was no scope for her to do the same because of the way in which her work was structured. And so she said, you know, on the one hand, of course I want to facilitate these women who quite rightly want to provide the best food source for their kids and go off and pump off their breast milk. But by the same token, I feel really conflicted in doing this because I wasn't afforded the same opportunities, and actually, when you're at work, the expectation is you're there to work. And so again, you have this kind of creeping in of these subtle cultural norms that yeah. I would argue are inherently masculinized, which frames it as such an outrageous thing for women to kind of want to restructure their working time so that they can have this. And I'm a geographer, obviously, so I'm really fascinated with boundaries. But again, this is another instance in which your life is kind of trying to bleed into your professional capacity, and the pushback against that is immense. So that was one thing that really surprised me. And, And another woman who I interviewed who admitted that she felt she was on the precipice of burnout, and it was a really... Intense interview that I had with her, she said, "You know, in retrospect, I don't know how differently it can be done." And so my advice to those who are in the same situation as me is, buckle up and deal with it. And I thought, oh God, you know, if you can't see how things could be positively changed in the future, then it's, it's quite depressing. And they were they were sort of able to. To talk about this saying, you know, well, all is lost. If we can't help the next generation of women coming through, then we can't expect the men to do it. So, I mean, what hope is there? And yet on the same token, they were very reluctant. Well, they didn't, I don't know if they were reluctant, but I didn't think they felt that there was a the capacity for them to do that, given the way in which medicine is currently structured. And I think that's where I'm trying to point my research to challenging things we know that there are gonna be significant workforce shortages in in certain specialties. For example, orthopedic surgery, we know that with the baby boomer generation, they're gonna need a hell of a lot of hip replacements coming through. We also know that orthopedic surgery is a particular branch of surgery where there are very, very few women. And women will, and and actually men coming through too, I think have a reluctance to go down some of those pathways because they know that as it's currently structured, there is that assumption that it will dominate your life, that you'll have to work incredibly irregular working hours, um, that the work will be demanding, and that the training to even get there is, is off-putting for many as well. To my mind, if we actually want to address the bigger picture as to why there might be shortages, we also, we also need to look at some of the aspects of the culture of medicine that make it such a barrier not just for women, but also for anybody who wants to try and have a semblance of life outside of work, any parent who wants to also make time for their children or have an equal share in their domestic or parenting duties. And there's this one quote from another author which stays with me, um, and I'm probably going to butcher it if I try and repeat it without reading it, but it's along the lines of, you know, medicine will always present challenges for those who seek to have a life outside of medicine until we start challenging these assumptions that professionalism and dedication and competence are only going to inhere in those who choose to abide by the full-time ideal so you know many people both men and women coming through are probably going to work wish to work quite differently to how they've worked in the past and I don't think that's going to drag the reputation of medicine down in fact I think having doctors who have better work-life balance, who have fulfilling, satisfying, and stress-free lives outside of medicine, that is actually probably going to make them better doctors in the long run. Because um, they're not going to be burnt out, they're not going to be stressed, they're going to have the grounds for, you know, proper well, well-being, mm-hmm. if you like. So yeah, I'm kind of hopeful for the future, but <laughs> we'll see.
1: Still got some work to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, And I guess you sort of brushed on those, in those last few comments that you were um, just talking about why, why it all matters and why, why it's important that we start to address these issues and a bit more targeted maybe. Was there any other sort of ideas that you had about why, why all of this matters and then what we can do from here?
2: Mm. Yeah, I'm writing my conclusions at (laughs) at the moment, so it should be forefront. Um, I guess one of the points that I've just made uh, in my write-up is I think it's really important that district health boards really strive to be the employers of choice in the future. Um, You know, medical migration is not an insignificant issue. We want to keep our graduates in New Zealand. We want to keep the best and the brightest working here. Uh, And I think to do that... Um, district health boards and those who are in charge of you know, health funding and the health workforce are really going to have to do some pretty significant soul-searching because I don't think it's just about bums on seats. It's more complicated than that. I think we need to look at how training is, is structured, um, whether we need to move towards more competency-based training rather than Based training? I don't know, it's it's a really controversial topic and I'm not really well placed to comment on that. But I think we do need to perhaps have these debates and discussions about is, for example, the apprenticeship model the only way? Are there other ways in which we can train our doctors of the future? I think we need to make it easier for all people to perhaps work differently, irrespective of their gender. Um, I remember after doing a very early presentation on this, I had two of our branch officers come up to me, who are both men, and they said, actually, these issues aren't just women's issues, these are issues that we're facing too, and they'd both had children relatively recently, and they were wanting to restructure their workload so that they could actually spend more time with their babies. And they were facing this massive sense of being pushed back from their colleagues and their clinical directors and, and the managers and their DHBs that that was not okay. And so it's not just women's issues, and um, Caprice Greenberg, who's the current president of the Association of American Surgeons, she makes that call. She said, you know, we cannot continue to discuss these issues as if parenting is just an issue for women to deal with. We need to reframe them so that it's an issue for both parents to contend with. And, you know, this might be, there's some really simple things that you can do, for example, Uh, One of the women in my study talked about the wider significance of what seemed like a really off-the-cuff decision on behalf of her clinical director to change the time of their departmental meetings to 7.30 in the morning, which was outside her normal working day. And she said to him, well, do you realise the impact that this is going to have on me? And he's like, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, my nanny doesn't turn up to work until after that time. So what do you expect me to do, bring my kids along? You know, I don't have wives who stay at home, a wife who stays at home to look after these things. I am that person, but I'm also a, a medical professional as well. And so there is, at a certain level, this complete failure to understand how these, again, I'll use this term, the micro inequities, can coalesce to present a fundamentally unequal playing field for for anybody who wants to have commitments or look after their commitments outside of medicine. So I'm really rambling, but um, I guess the other point I really want to emphasize is most of the work that we've been doing to date has really focused on, I guess, the structural causes of these problems. We know that there are significant funding shortfalls in medicine. We know that there continue to be significant staffing shortfalls. Clinical creep, growing patient acuity and growing demand. this work isn't kind of disregarding that it kind of I want it to be seen as as like a an and, so this work intersects or builds upon the other work that we've been doing to suggest that I guess these indicators of well-being not only reflect the structural problems with the with the health system at the current point but perhaps also these cultural factors too, which make for really challenging. Reading, if you like. I don't think this will go down well with all quarters, but by the same token if all it serves to do is to get people debating and discussing these issues, then that's good enough for me. And I guess the only other thing I want to say as a caveat is um, I really want to thank the woman who spent the time talking to me. It's a massive responsibility. It's quite terrifying actually doing this work. on women who are members of the ASMS and I feel this weight very very keenly that I, I really genuinely hope I've done their words justice and I hope I haven't misrepresented their views or misrepresented their um, their ideas. Any failure in that part remains my own. Um, but yeah, so big thanks and apologies in advance if I've stuffed it up <laughs> in some way. Yeah. Well, one of them did write to me recently because I was checking something with her and she said um, she just wanted to thank me for having a crack at some of these issues because she said they are big issues and she said it's nice to have somebody trying to give them a voice and mm-hmm. that was really, really validating for me. Yeah.
1: And I guess it is giving some of these issues a voice whereas they may not have been brought to the table as much as they could have up till this point. mm um just some sort of ending comments and things i was wondering if
2: you had any more specific things just maybe to say about burnout sure um it's such a topical issue and in many ways i think you mentioned the word burnout and a lot of people glaze over and they think it's kind of been done to death i don't think it has been i think it's great that it's on the agenda so to speak and i think it was just recently the world medical association has recognized it as a something. Is it is an illness in its own right. I don't know, but it was just recently, this week, that it was recognised yeah. as being a particular condition of concern for doctors. Burnout matters. Um, we know that it can affect the quality of clinical care. It's going to affect the, I guess, the culture of the department that you're in, if you've got a lot of people who are burnt out. They're not going to make great colleagues. Burnt out doctors are more likely to leave the medical profession. We know they're at significant greater risk of depressive illnesses suicidal ideation it's not an insignificant um, thing you know we kind of talk about burnout almost glibly but it's it's a really significant issue and I guess what I've learned about burnout or how I'm trying to see burnout is that it's, it's kind of like an end result of many many different factors You know, if you're working in a department which is short staffed, you've got a pretty brutal on-call roster, you're dealing with quite distressing clinical cases, you're perhaps working with colleagues who, for a variety of reasons, a bit jaded themselves, um, or you perhaps don't feel supported by your colleagues, perhaps you've got other things going on outside of life, uh, outside of your professional life, that's not going to be a great working environment, and I think you're risk of experiencing burnout is going to be significantly greater in in that context. I think if you're a woman perhaps also juggling feelings of guilt, for example, that if you've got children, this is quite common in my research, the women with children often talked about feeling guilty um, either when they're at work that they weren't spending enough time with their children or when they're with their children feeling guilty because they were either carrying the stress of their work into their domestic setting or not being able to kind of shake off um, the need that they need that they felt they should be doing more work. It's a really vicious cycle, and it's really concerning, because I don't think there's a quick fix to it. I think there's so many different things that need to be touched on in order to fix the problem with burnout. We need the structural stuff, we need better funding, we need better staffing, we need to do simple things like um, make it very easy for doctors to take short-term sick leave, for example, better access to locums, that kind of stuff. But I guess where my research into sex tries to um, contribute to the conversation is we also need to have some of these, I guess, more difficult conversations, I guess more navel-gazing type conversations where we start thinking about how the culture of medicine may inadvertently also contribute to the propensity for people to experience burnout. And certainly from the research that we've done, and it seems to be um, congruent with international research, women are at greater risk of burnout. And I think it's because... They have so many other things on their plates that they're dealing with, not just because they're parents, although many of them will be, but because of all these other things that kind of circumscribe and inflict um, the way in which they are able to practice their role of doctor.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: and I think today we've brushed on a lot of really important things that we should be thinking about moving forward, and it's really An excellent opportunity to have you along to talk about all the hard work that you've put into this area um, and the time that you've given it. So I thought I'd hand over to you for the last sort of say if there was anything else that you wanted to add or that you thought would be valuable.
2: Sure I mean I guess one thing that you'll probably find of relevance from my work is the fact that um, research, not my research, but international research finds that uh, medical students are likely to consider fundamentally different factors in their future choice of specialty by gender. So one piece of research that I read found that women doctors, or women medical students, were likely to consider potential future burden of their domestic circumstances, irrespective of whether or not they had children at that particular point in time, irrespective of whether they were either in a committed relationship at that point in time, whereas their male counterparts were more concerned with guaranteeing good money, Capacity for adventure and excitement in their future. Um, I found that really depressing because as a medical student, you shouldn't be kind of limiting what you're passionate about simply because of these bloody stereotypes that exist and and permeate our society, which suggests that women have to be sensible about the choices that they make because they're going to have families in the future, maybe, and they need to be realistic in light of those future constraints. Well, I hope, and this is my hope for the future, is that medical students will follow whatever they they are passionate about and whatever they enjoy doing. I would hope that medical students of the future don't have to worry about their future responsibilities when they choose their specialty, because specialties, um, even the surgical specialties, which are sort of ridiculously up that, you know, masculinist pyramid of hierarchy and horrible training and stuff... If women want to go down surgical pathways they should be encouraged to do so because hopefully in the future we will live in a society where domestic responsibilities are shared equally and women who want to go into surgery are not told that they would be wise to make sure they've got a wife at home (laughs) to enable them to get through which is the suggestion that one woman back in the 80s had for as to why there are very few women going through surgical training. Um, I also I guess I'm hopeful for a future where choosing a career path in medicine is not going to be so horrifically burdensome in terms of the rest of your lives. You know, women shouldn't have to delay having kids until they're at that point where it's very challenging for them to do so, and then they have to go through IVF and all that other kind of stuff. So again, I'm rambling a bit, but I just, I guess I'm hopeful for the future. And I hope that we do reach a point where um, it's a much more even playing field And women in medicine are welcomed and encouraged to do whatever they want to do, really.
1: I think that's a really um, good place to leave the podcast. I'd like to thank you for joining us, um, Jala, and sharing all your wisdom about these areas. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening and contributing to the discussion. Cool. Thank
2: you.